You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today we're talking about seed fermentation. For most plants, saving seeds is a simple process, honestly. You kind of just have to separate them out from their little wrappings and store them in a paper envelope in a cool, dry place, right? But there are a special few kinds of seeds that really benefit from an easy extra step called seed fermentation, and that's what we're talking about in today's episode. We're going to talk about the types of seeds that benefit from seed fermentation, and we're going to be talking about the easy, easy peasy steps that are required, so you will know how to do it at the end of this season. So, That's what's on deck for today, but first, a word from our sponsor. So seed fermentation is an important part of saving seeds for next year's crop for several kinds of vegetables, actually. While it's not necessary for, I would say, a large majority of plants, seed fermentation is recommended for tomatoes, both cherry tomatoes and full-sized ones, cucumbers, and various kinds of squash from butternut and spaghetti squash and pumpkins, as well as I would say zucchini and yellow squash too. So you'll notice that all of those plants, those seeds are kept in in very like wet conditions. And when you pull them out, they're sort of covered in like this gelatinous goo. And that is what the seed fermentation process helps us resolve. So by fermenting the seed from these plants, you accomplish a couple different things that help ensure better germination rates in the next season. One, removal of the goo that can cover seeds, which actually can hinder germination. It's almost kind of like once it dries, having the seeds covered in glue, right? And then two, killing possible seed-borne bacteria or fungus that can prevent germination altogether. I do, though, before we start talking about the seed fermentation process, want to put out one important note, and that is do not save squash seeds, neither winter nor summer squash, if you've grown more than one kind of squash in your garden. This is really hard for those of us who grow, you know, heirloom varieties and the whole point of growing heirloom varieties, or at least some of the point in growing heirloom varieties, is that we can save the seeds from the plants that we grow. But if you grow more than one type of squash, the seeds that you save from that fruit may be cross-pollinated. And while it won't affect the taste of the squash you harvest, it will affect the viability of fruit from the seeds you harvest. So seed from squash that's been cross-pollinated can result in bitter, inedible sort of frankenfruit and even toxicity. So squash that's toxic to eat can result in something called toxic squash syndrome. Yes, really, that's a real thing. It is incredibly rare, so you should know that, but it does happen and it can cause things like nausea and even in a case in France, 
hair loss, which I thought was completely bizarre. So whenever you cut into a cross-pollinated squash that's inedible, a lot of times you will know immediately from the look or the smell, or if you do like a tiny little taste test, it'll be really bitter and you should know right away. It's really easy to tell, but to avoid that situation altogether, it's just best not to plant seed that you have saved from squash when you have planted multiple kinds of squash. So want to get that little caveat out of the way. And I wanted to share that with you because I have made that mistake before and used up a whole bunch of space in my garden on some completely inedible squash and was really disappointed at the end of the season. So now that you know about that, let's talk about how to ferment seeds. So like I said, the seed fermentation process is super duper easy. First step would be to remove the seeds. So to make sure that the seeds you're saving from these types of plants, remember I said tomatoes, any type of squash, and then cucumber, to make sure they're viable, make sure you take them from fruit that's been left on the vine as long as possible. So this is really good for that cucumber that somehow managed to escape your attention for like a couple weeks and has gotten so incredibly huge that it has turned from like green to yellow. Same thing with that baseball sized yellow squash or zucchini that like somehow you didn't manage to find because it was buried under a bunch of leaves. Those are really easy things to have happen to you. They happen to me, I swear, like every year. Um, and again, only save seeds from those summer squash plants if you're, if you're not growing multiple types of squash. For tomatoes though, you know, just making sure that you are leaving those tomatoes on the vine as long as possible. It, it doesn't have to be overripe. Um, just making sure that the tomatoes are kind of that uniform color that they're supposed to be. So if that tomato is meant to be a nice solid red, make sure that's what it looks like. If the darkest that tomato turns is orange or even yellow, make sure it's uniformly so, you know, before you pick it. Other than that, it's not like you have to leave it on the plant until it falls off the plant itself. It just needs to be fully ripe. Also, it might be hard to do, but only take seeds from specimens of fruits and vegetables that are free of disease or damage. This just helps make sure that the seeds that you end up saving are healthy because you don't want to go through the trouble of saving seeds from a diseased piece of fruit. It's just going to be more likely that that, you know, if a seedling does happen to sprout, that it's not going to end up thriving because it started out diseased. For tomatoes, cut the tomato in half. If it's a Roma tomato, you might open it up to see like no seeds at all or any type of plum tomato, but don't be fooled. Fleshy tomatoes, you know, they still do have seeds. There's just a lot fewer of them and they're hiding under a flap of tomatoey goodness. So I promise you that they're there. It's best to take seeds from a cucumber that is overripe. Like, like I said, those ones that hide from you. Seeds from smaller cucumbers, like the size that you would prefer for pickling, they won't be fully formed yet. And you can tell because they'll look sort of transparent. And I have a good picture of this on the sister post for this episode, which you can find the link to in the show notes. Um, 
they'll they'll seem kind of transparent, almost like they're little sacks of water. A a cucumber seed, a fully matured cucumber seed should be a lot like a fully mature squash seed. It should be, you know, ivory colored rather than kind of transparent, and it should be pretty solid, pretty hard. Any seed that you save, no matter what kind of fruit that it's from, should be opaque, not see-through, and it should feel solid when you squeeze it. To get cucumber seeds out, I recommend slicing the fruit sort of into discs or rounds. I've noticed that when you slice the cucumber lengthwise, you end up slicing a lot of the seeds in half, which makes them obviously completely unsuitable for saving. So what I do is I slice my cucumbers just like I would be slicing them up to eat them, like into little discs. And then, yeah, it takes a little bit longer. I can't just go with a spoon and kind of like scoop the whole, you know, cucumber boat out of of seeds. Um, But it does help avoid cutting a bunch of the cucumber seeds in half. Squash and pumpkin seeds are really large, so it's obviously, they're really apparent, you know, when they're ready, which ones are ready, which ones are immature. Just scoop them out and separate them from the innards as best you can. Don't worry so much about, you know, getting them as clean as possible. That's honestly what the seed fermentation process is for. So, you know, do the best you can, but don't agonize over it and then toss them in a bowl. So step two, now that you have all of your seeds, put them in a bowl separately, obviously, put each each plant seed into its own bowl and add some water, enough water to cover them. I would say enough water to cover them and then plus about a half an inch at least. Don't worry about rinsing them before you put them in the water or add the water. Just put them in their own separate bowls and then stir them around with your finger Let the seeds sit for three to four days and make sure that you're letting them sit out of direct sunlight. Once or twice a day, for most of us, it's going to be once a day, if even that, because these little things have a tendency to sort of get pushed to the back of our minds with everything we have going on. But if you can remember, if you've left them in like a really obvious place, like on your kitchen counter, give them another stir with your finger, you know, once or twice a day. Step three would be to ignore the smell. They're going to start stinking and the water is going to start looking sort of foamy or bubbly, but that's actually okay. In fact, that's a good thing. It means that the seeds have started fermenting. The fermentation process has started and fermenting honestly is a smelly process. I've noticed that squash seeds in particular are very, very smelly. So just a heads up. I mean, it's not going to stink up your whole kitchen, but like when you walk up to the counter, that's kind of like right in front of that squash seed bowl. You're going to be like, oh, yep, that that's fermenting. Okay. So yeah, a little bit of a smell and the water looking sort of foamy or bubbly is something that you want. So if it takes more than three to four days, you know, give it, give it a little more time. Eventually it'll happen. But I would say no more than five or six days because you don't want anything to start sort of turning um, and growing bacteria or anything like that on, on the surface. Step four would be at the end of the fermentation process. So after no more than five or six days, 
the good seeds should have sunk to the bottom of the bowl. So good seeds are always really solid and they sink. Bad seeds, immature seeds, will be floating at the top. So the first thing you want to do is pick out the bad seeds, kind of scoop them up from the top. You can use your fingers. Sometimes it's actually a little bit easier to use a spoon just to get them out so that you're not kind of like accidentally stirring up the contents that are at the bottom of the bowl. And then pour the remainder of the, the bowl, so the good seeds that are at the bottom with the fermented water and everything, pour everything else that's remaining once you've gotten rid of the bad seeds through a very fine mesh strainer and rinse thoroughly. This is gonna be really easy for tomatoes and cucumbers. It's gonna be a little bit more difficult for you know squash because they have the especially like winter squash pumpkin especially especially that has like those kind of innards those stringy stuff that likes to stick to the seeds so again just do the best you can but usually after fermentation a lot of that stringy stuff has kind of like broken down and it's not as hard um, and usually kind of like scrubbing it against the bottom of the strainer kind of helps loosen all that and get it off then after you have rinsed everything really nice and clean, you'll want to spread the seeds on parchment paper to dry. You can use paper towels, and I have used paper towels in the past, but I will tell you from experience that seeds stick like glue to paper towels once they're dried. So that's why I use parchment paper just like everything else in the kitchen. N seeds don't stick to parchment paper, or if they do, it's really easy to just pop them off with your fingernail. Let the seeds dry on the parchment paper for five to seven days. So we've fermented them, we've rinsed them, and now we're gonna let them dry, really, really dry out. They need to be completely dry before you store them. Otherwise they can mold or rot in storage. I I have gone back and forth about whether I, you know, could throw them in the food dehydrator to get them to dry out faster, but I have avoided the temptation to do that just because my food dehydrator tends to get about 175 degrees and I worry that that's going to be hot enough that it could, you know, damage the the seeds itself if you've tried that before and and it's worked out successfully give me a holler let me know um and then i i can share that in a future update episode or i can update the sister post with that information i have just been hesitant to do it because i i feel like in nature those seeds are never exposed to temperatures that high and so i just i just worry that that would not work out very well once seeds are completely dry, store them in a cool, dry place until they're ready to plant. So just like any seeds, I like to store mine in these um, plain white paper coin envelopes that I order off of Amazon um, that I can write notes on. I can write like what kind of seed it is, what variety, any planting information that I need to remember. And it's really important to you know store those seeds in something that they can breathe in a little bit. I also write the date that they were harvested on there because that's going to help me keep track of what seeds are still good year to year. There's nothing worse than having like a whole box full of seeds and having zero idea how old they are. So therefore having zero idea about how viable they are still. But otherwise, that's it. Super simple, honestly, seed fermentation is. And 
really increases your chances of successful germination in the next season, especially for tomato seeds that I have saved over. I've actually tried not fermenting those seeds and planted them. And I will tell you, I get much better germination rates when I do ferment my tomato seeds. So just a little tip there. I have tried it both ways. So that's it for today. In my next episode, I am going to be going over everything you need to consider before building a raised bed garden. So we are sort of winding down the growing season. You might be thinking of building a bigger or a better garden next year. And fall is a really nice time to do that because you have much cooler weather, which means it's much more enjoyable to work outside. And raised beds are great, especially if you have really poor soil. Like I've said in previous episodes, we have really heavy, heavy clay soil where I live. So building raised beds was the best choice we could have made. But there are a lot of things to take into consideration before you build them. So I'm going to be going over all of that in the next episode. I do anticipate that that's going to be a longer episode. So we'll have to see. I might have to split that out into two separate episodes and it might have to be my first two-parter, but we'll see. Until then, Thank you so very much for listening. As always, I hope that the end of the growing season is winding down for you. You have a little bit more rest that you can work into your schedule. And I hope that you're really enjoying all of the yummy garden goods that are coming through your door. Thank you so very much. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.